Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. The Old Testament book of Numbers and Numbers chapter number 27. Numbers and chapter number 27. We are on our final few messages dealing with the life and ministry of Moses. We'll be finishing up some of the historical passages and then of course hitting some of the highlights in the book of Deuteronomy and especially hitting some of the names of God. You're going to see quite a few of them in the next a couple weeks as we finish up this year and to finish off this message. Um, Again, originally when I was planning out this, I had 82 messages. And so we had to trim them down where I think we're at number 45 now. So we had to get rid of about half of them in order to fit them in and to make them bite-sized and palatable. And even then I didn't touch anything of the law, didn't touch anything of the ceremonies, didn't touch anything. So there's still quite a bit to unearth and hopefully you get to the place where you say, This is interesting stuff to go back and to find some of these things for yourself and to go through there. Even bringing up some questions. I had someone have an excellent question today about keeping straight about the Moabites and the Benjamites and these sites and over things, the Hivites and the, you know, well, a lot of that is just learning the history and learning over there, finding out who's Hebrew, knowing the 12 tribes, but all of that's included in here. And it's helpful to know who these things, for example, we're in a place where we're covering the east side of the Jordan River, which is going to be important, and to know which countries are there. Starting from the very top, if you're looking at the Jordan River going to the east, at the very top you would have the country of Ammon. By the way, that's such important that today we have a country by the name of Jordan. And guess what the capital of Jordan is? Ammon. Underneath Ammon you would have Moab. And of course, Ammon and Moab were both descendants of that day of sin with Lot and his daughters when they escaped from, <laughs> that, from the judgment of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And then underneath that, right across from the Dead Sea, you would have Edom, which came from the uh, descendants of Esau, who we talked today about in Sunday school, that Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. And to know these things help you to understand where it's at. So if you see Moabite, you can kind of see where it's at. Knowing Bible geography will help you out tremendously. Where the Hittites were. The Hittites came from the area of Turkey. Uh, that you wouldn't see it today on the Turkey. So these type of things are important because the Bible is going to bring them up. And if you could place a people to a piece of land, to a geography, then it helps you kind of place the context of things going on. You're going to see a lot of that all throughout the wilderness wanderings because they're going to pin Paul uh, (laughs) to a bunch of people. Then when they get to um, Joshua, guess what? They're going to pin Paul some more. 
And you're going to see these people and these people and these people. And to understand where they're at, who's who, that kind of helps you keep it in mind of the context. Context is always king. Now, hopefully I've stalled enough that you found your way to the book of Numbers, chapter number 27. The book of Numbers, chapter number 27. And notice with me, starting at verse number 15. The book of Numbers, chapter number 27, starting at verse 15, the word of God says this. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go out, go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight." That thou should put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase in the book of Numbers chapter 27? The book of Numbers chapter 27, and notice with me in verse 16, notice the phrase, set a man over the congregation. Set a man over the congregation. And with this, we want to preach the message entitled, Set a Man Over the Congregation. And perhaps we could even subtitle this for a better understanding of what we're getting out of here. The Principles of the Under-Shepherd. The Principles of the Under-Shepherd. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the great privilege of being here today. And again, as we honor and celebrate the anniversary of me being here as pastor of these good folks, what a great reminder that you've lined up about the principle of the under-shepherd, what the purpose of the under-shepherd is and what your desire is and how to use the under-shepherd. We're asking that you would just help us to be reminded, help us to learn. More importantly, use this to put our attention on you. That you would direct my thoughts even now. I set aside my ambitions, my goals, my desires. And I beg that you fill me with your spirit. So you could get accomplished exactly what you want to be done. Order my thoughts. Give me the thoughts. Order what needs to be said and how it needs to be said. That we could be a help to your people. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now at this time, Moses has led the children of Israel for close to 40 years. That's a long time of leading them across. And as they're preparing to go into the promised land, Moses realizing that he 
cannot go across. He's taken some time. Of course, we've already seen that where both Aaron and Moses sinned against God. They had ruined the picture of Jesus Christ by striking the rock the second time. And so because of that, God had cursed both Moses and Aaron, said that they could not go on the land. Well, we've already seen Miriam die. We've seen Aaron die. And it won't be too long until Moses passes off the scene. And wisely, he understands that there needs to be someone to take his place. And instead of leaving it by chance, instead of just disappearing off the scene and hoping the congregation can float by, he's taking some time to go to the Lord and talking to the Lord. What should we do about this? That you set a man over the congregation. And with the prayer of Moses and God's response, we can learn quite a bit about the principle of the under-shepherd. Now, what's an under-shepherd? Well, we know, according to the Bible, that God is the chief shepherd. It is his flock. It is his people. And in order to help direct his people, God appoints an under-shepherd for the purpose of helping direct his flock, to help put the flock towards him. And with this, let's see some principles of the under-shepherd here that we could find from this passage. The first thing I want to show you with the first division, there's going to be some things underneath this division here, is the human principle of the under-shepherd. The human principle of the under shepherd. We start off with Moses taking some time to pray to God. And he starts off in verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord saying. Let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh. Set a man over the congregation. Now as Moses is praying. He's praying about the under shepherd. And the very first thing we want to see here with the human principle of the under shepherd is that the under shepherd is a spiritual work. The under shepherd is a spiritual work. Now he starts off by addressing God and he uses a very unique and special names of God. Now, most of you know that I love to study the names of God. That when you see a name of God, it's something special and unique. There's a reason why God used that name in whatever passage you find it in. And here we find a unique name of God that is only used this once. Notice the name of God that he uses here in verse 16. Let the Lord... The God of the spirits of all flesh. Here we could see God as God over the spirits of all flesh. Now this is a plea to the God who is concerned over the spiritual life of the people. This is what this is carrying the idea. That God of the spirits of all flesh. This is the God who is concerned over the spiritual life of the people. Now we know that we're made up of three parts. We're made up of spirit, we're made up of soul, and we're made up of body. And Moses as he's praying, he's praying to the God who's concerned over the spiritual life of the people. Now remember his direct context is that he is praying for a replacement. And as he's praying for the replacement, he's addressing God as the God who is concerned over the spiritual life of the people. So because you're concerned over the spiritual life of the people, God, provide an under-shepherd. Provide a man over the congregation. Provide someone to take my place. What, again, we're tying in here is that the under-shepherd is a spiritual work. 
The purpose of the under shepherd is to help take care of the spiritual life of the people. Remember, in our spirit makes us God conscious. Remember, we're made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. In our spirit, we have the candle of the Lord. Now, a candle, if it's not lit, is it still a candle? Yes. And a candle, if it is lit, it's still a candle. Every person is made with the candle. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the candle is lit. But everyone has a spirit part to their body. Inside of uh, us, we have spirit. We also have soul. In our soul, we have will, intellect, and emotion. Will, intellect, and emotion. Sometimes we will put that together as a biblical term and talk about heart. But our soul is our will, intellect, and emotion. Then we talk about our body, which is our five senses. Now, with our body, we are world conscious. With our soul, we are self-conscious. And with our spirit, we are God-conscious. And as Moses is praying to God. He is addressing the God who's concerned over the spiritual life of the people to provide a man over the congregation, to provide a replacement for Moses because we need someone who is going to work with the spiritual life of the people to point them to God, to keep them God conscious, to keep them thinking about who the Lord is, to keep God in the forefront of their mind. This is the principle of the under shepherd, that the under shepherd is to work with people about their spiritual life, to be concerned about their spiritual life. All of us know people who are concerned about their bodies. They're worried about whether they're going to eat, whether they're going to drink, whether they're going to get clothes. They're wondering about where they live. I'm too cold, too hot. You know, we live in an everyday world. But sometimes that's all their mind covers is the physical. We understand there is a place for the mental and you have to keep your mental mind sharp. You have to work on your mind. You have to control your heart. But then there's also that spiritual life. And a lot of times this is the most neglected part of the body. The most neglected part of a person's being is the spiritual life, their relationship with the Lord. And so the purpose of the under shepherd is to keep the Lord before the people, to keep their minds and their hearts and their eyes on the Lord. And so the first idea here when we're talking about the human principle is that the under shepherd is a spiritual work. Now, as Moses continues to pray in verse 17, we have a list of things that are associated with the under-shepherd. And the, first th the next thing I want to show you here is not only is the under-shepherd a spiritual work, but the under-shepherd is to go out before them. That's the key word there is out. That he, the under-shepherd is to go out before them. Notice in verse 17, which may go out before them. All right, that was pretty simple. Now, this has the idea that key word there is out. And this term carries the idea that the under shepherd is separate from the group. Now, this is for the purpose of leading the group, meaning there has to be a separation in order for him to be an effective authority. There has to be something different. Now, let me remind you that there's nothing different between an under shepherd and the people as regards to who we are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. The same as you. I am not perfect. By the way, the qualification to be a pastor is not to be perfect. That's not the qualification. There's not a qualification. You have to be perfect. I'm so glad. But there is the idea that as an 
under shepherd, I have to effectively be an authority to help people. And there has to be a distance. There's an old saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. For example, if a guy was good friends with his pastor and they were fishing buddies. And praise the Lord, there should be some good fellowship. But let's say that they're really close and they go fishing every weekend. And they hang out and they do everything together. Well, when it comes time for the pastor to have to rebuke his fishing buddy, well, it's going to be harder to do and even harder for the fishing buddy to receive the rebuke. Why? Because familiarity breeds contempt. There's something that all of us do, all of us do, it is not good and not wise, but it is called deflection. And that whenever you are pointed out that you did something wrong, your flesh likes to point out, oh yeah, will you do this? You understand? You have to get, in order to discount the message, you have to take out the messenger. Well, yeah, well, I saw you doing that. You want to get after me. Well, that's what happens when there's a familiarity. Any person who served as an assistant to the pastor for all, any for a long period of time will tell you that the longer they serve with their pastor, the harder it is to serve and work with them. Why? Because they see their feet of clay. They know that they're just nothing but a man. And it's easier to kind of point out, well, why are you telling me what I'm doing wrong? I know everything you've done wrong. Right? You ever have that fight as a husband and wife team? (laughs) Oh, yeah? Well, what about when you did this? Well, (laughs) that's called deflection, and we're guilty of it. And so the Bible gives a principle that here the under-shepherd is to be out before them. You know, sometimes people will come in and <laughs> who are new to the church and one of the questions they'll ask me as they start to get to know things is, what do I call you? Do I call you brother and so-and-so? Do I call you first name? What, what do I call you? Well, that's a good question. What I prefer people to call me is pastor or preacher. You say, why? Why are, why are you trying to be formal? Well, what it is is that one day there's going to be someone that comes in here with marriage problems. One day there's going to come someone that comes in with drug problems. Someone's going to come in with some spiritual problems. And they're not going to need a brother so-and-so. They're going to need a pastor. They need someone who has some authority to help them through those things. And so, yes, we know that the title puts a little bit of separation. But it's necessary in order to be an effective authority. Does that make sense? But not too much separation. Notice the next phrase here. That not only is the under shepherd supposed to go out before them. Notice verse 17. Which may go out before them. And which may go in before them. Notice this word in. So before it was out. Here it was in. This idea the in is that the under shepherd is to go in before them. It carries the idea that he's also a part of the group. That he's not supposed to be so separate that there's a distance. It's not supposed to be an idea where it's an us versus them thing. But instead, it's my pastor. We're together. (laughs) We're supposed to work together. This is this idea that he's still a part of the group. Does that make sense? He's not so separated and so disconnected. He needs to be accessible. He needs to be working with them. Now again, this is kind of hard because he's got to be both of those things. He needs to be so the group, they're together as a group. 
but also to the idea that he could lead them and he could work with them. Notice there's another principle that we find in verse 17. Again, this is Moses' prayer to God. He's giving this list of things. God, this is what we're looking for. This is what we need for an under-shepherd. We need someone to care for the spiritual lives of the people. We need someone who could go out before them. Someone who could go in before them. Notice this as it goes on in verse 17. Which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out. Here's the next thing here. An under-shepherd is to lead them. They're supposed to lead them. Now, in actual shepherding, dealing with actual flocks, whether it's sheep or dealing with cattle or whatnot, we have two different philosophies in the world. There's the Western thought, and there's the Eastern thought. Now, we're part of the West, and so the Western thought is the idea that you drive the sheep. For example, you may have heard of a cattle drive. And so what happens is the cowboys in this case, they get behind the cows or get behind the sheep and they heal them. You know, heal, come on! And they keep them together and they drive them to where they're supposed to go. That's the Western idea of leading sheep, of leading a flock. The Eastern idea of leading of of taking care of the sh- of the flock is that the eastern idea is the shepherd goes before the flock and because the flock has a relationship they travel with him that if he goes somewhere they all follow with him and so there's two different ideas there's the idea of driving the sheep and then here is the bible idea that the shepherd is supposed to lead the sheep He's supposed to be the example. He's supposed to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not the idea that, do what I say, not as I do type thing. That's driving the sheep. Here it's supposed to be, let me be the example. Come with me. Let's go together. And so here is this prayer that Moses is making that they may have an under shepherd that is to lead them. He's supposed to lead the flock, be the example. They follow him as he follows the Lord, as he follows Christ. Notice something else that we see in here. Verse 17 is just a complete list. That may go out before them, which may go in before them, which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. Here we see also this idea of the under-shepherd is the under-shepherd is to bring them in. He's to bring them in. Here we understand the principle here is the under-shepherd's responsible for helping others to integrate into the group. To help them to become part of the group. To make it so that way when someone walks in the door, they feel welcome. That it's not the iceberg Baptist church where they are freezing out. It's not the idea... And I've seen it before, I'm sure you've seen it before, that a visitor comes in, they don't know where to sit, so they sit somewhere. And so some little old lady comes up and just stares at him and, you're in my seat. And just stares at him until they feel uncomfortable enough to go, that should not be. (laughs) It should be the place where people come in and they feel welcome. It doesn't matter if they have a green mohawk and they have an earring and a nose ring and a cheek ring and they have an A chain going from their earring to their cheek ring to their nose ring. We're going to make them feel welcome. We're going to sit them. We're going to have someone try to sit beside them. By the way, as an encouragement, we're on a Sunday night. Let me remind you that if you see someone that is not part of our church come in, don't let them sit by themselves. You sit with them. If they don't have a Bible, 
then have a Bible with them. If they can't find it, help them find it. They don't know what song they're in, help them. Make them feel welcome. Don't make them feel left out. But that's our responsibility. Now, I can't go sit with them. So you've got to help me out. There should be never a visitor that comes in that you don't greet them. There should never be a visitor who's come a couple times that you don't know their name. Do you know the name of the couple that's been coming for the last... All right? You need to know their name. You need to know who they are. Uh, That's part of it that (laughs) the under-shepherd is supposed to help lead them so people feel like they belong. You understand, we like to be spiritual. Why does someone go to church? Because there's good doctrine. Well, that should be the ultimate goal. But you know why people go to church? Because they're invited. You know why they stay at a church? Because they feel accepted. And that's part of the under-shepherd's job is to train the people, to train them so people feel like they can be a part of us and not feel like they're always on the outside. Bring them in. Work with them. Let them feel accepted. Make them feel like they're welcome to come back and would be glad to see them. You say, but they don't look the same. They don't look the right. You know, we're a hospital. We're expecting them to be a wreck when they come in. We need to take them from where they are and help them take the next step and work on them. Think about you. Many of you have changed since you've been here. And God can work with you. And we need to work with them. We just find out where they are and take, help them take the next step. But this is part of the under-shepherd. It's a spiritual work to help people to bring them in. To bring them and make them a part of it. Notice there's something else with this human idea of the under-shepherd. That we know that the under-shepherd is a spiritual work. The under-shepherd is to go out before them. He's to go in before them. He is to lead them. He's to bring them in. But notice this in verse 17. Which may go out before them. And which may go out go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. We see this other principle here, that the under-shepherd keeps them from wandering. The under-shepherd keeps them from wandering. Notice this phrase at the very end, that it talks about that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd which have no shepherd. It is surprising how many times you will find that phrase, having sheep with no shepherd, all throughout the Bible. And this is an important phrase. This is something that God himself, Jesus himself, had said. Remember, he's standing over Jerusalem and he's weeping over them. Why? Because they're as sheep wandering away, having no shepherd. Jesus was heartbroken of them. Part of the idea of a, sh- of a shepherd is to keep the sheep from wandering. Sheep are stupid. And they will wander. <clears throat> a-, a shepherd will have two instruments. One of them is the shepherd's crook. And so often a sheep, remember this is um, in the area that they're at. It's very mountainous, very hilly. There's cliffs and whatnot. And a sheep will often go... I wonder what's over here. And so we'll look over the cliff and then fall over. Now he's stuck on the ledge. He goes, ah. And so the shepherd has to take that shepherd's crook, pick him up, put him back on. And you would expect the sheep to learn its lesson. Nope. You know what happens? Hey, I wonder what's over here. Let me check. And he falls down again. Shepherd's got to put him back in. You know, after a couple times of doing that, the sheep is in danger of hurting itself. So you know what the shepherd has to do? He breaks the leg of the sheep. You say, how horrible. 
Oh, but it's a loving thing. But you know what the shepherd does after that? He carries that sheep around his neck until that leg is healed. And he takes care of them. But you know what the sheep does? I don't go over there anymore. Now, <laughs> we understand that pastor's not going to break your legs. But you understand there is that principle that the shepherd's responsible making sure the sheep stay together. That they make sure they don't wander away. If one wanders off, he has to go over them. Of course, we know the principle of the, the 90 and 9, right? He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's part of being the shepherd to go after them. Uh, later on this next year, we're going to see from the book of Amos where it says uh, <coughs> uh, two ears and a piece of a tail. And it's talking about a shepherd in the book of Amos. That the shepherd is so determined. Here's a lion that's eating a sheep. And he's so trying to scavenge as much as the sheep as he can. That he pulls and pulls. And all he gets is two ears and a piece of a tail. But again it's showing that the shepherd is fighting against the lion. To try to salvage as much as the sheep as he possibly can. He's supposed to keep them from wandering. Supposed to bring them in. And that's part of being a good shepherd. Again, this phrase is used over and over and over. In the Bible, there's a law called the law of first mention. And that whenever you want to study a doctrine, something that is repeated over, you always go back to the very first mention of that law, the law first mentioned. And usually, the key to unlocking or understanding that doctrine is found in the very first mention of it. Well, the idea of having a sheep or having a shepherd so the sheep are not scattered, this idea is carried throughout the Bible. But this is the very first mention of this. And what is the first mention of this? It's in the context of having a shepherd keeping the sheep from wandering. Every other time you see this phrase, it is because they don't have a shepherd and the people have wandered away. The sheep have wandered away. Jesus so much broken over this. So you understand this is a great blessing to have an under-shepherd who is working. Now all of this is the humanistic, the um, human part of this. Meaning that Moses is praying and as he's praying to God, he's being specific. He's not just saying, ah, just give me a warm body. No, he's saying we need a shepherd who does this, who does this, who does this, does this, does this, does this. There's nothing wrong with being specific. But now we see God answer that. Now notice God, Moses didn't hint, didn't suggest anybody. He let God choose. Which brings us to the next part. God's part of the under-shepherd. God's part of the under-shepherd. And what we see here is that God chooses the under-shepherd. God chooses the under-shepherd. Notice with me in verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. Here we could see this. God says, I want you to get Joshua. Joshua's been trained. Joshua's prepared. That's the man I want. Again, Moses didn't lead a suggestion. He didn't put a leading question. He said, God, you choose. And God says, I choose Joshua. By the way, why was it that Joshua was chosen? Notice again verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, take thee Joshua, the son of Nun. Notice how God describes him. A man in whom is the spirit. Now what spirit are we talking about? God's spirit. This is someone who's learned to trust and depend upon God for himself. God is looking for an instrument that will not rely upon himself, but upon God. 
Looking for someone in the spirit. You understand to be an under shepherd. It is a spiritual work. It is an idea where you don't have the answers. But God does. And you need someone who's willing to go to God. And say God what it is. For example. If you could imagine being an under shepherd. And you have someone that comes in and says. Pastor I'm addicted to drugs. And I don't even know if I want off drugs. Can you help me? What do you tell them? What do you say? You have a couple that comes in and says, Pastor, we're having marital problems. What do we do? What do you say? You know what the correct answer is? Let's see what God has to say about this. It's immediately, in every good pastor's mind, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God, I need you right now. Because this is more serious than my thoughts and my opinions. And God is saying, I'm looking for someone who's learned to trust me, learned to seek me, not trying to depend upon himself, not a Mr. Know-it-all that has all the answers, someone who's not afraid to say, God, I need help right now. I need the words to say, here is someone who's looking for help. Lord, what do I do? How do I help them? Many of you don't realize that sometimes when you ask me questions on the phone, text or whatever else, while you're asking me, I'm going, Lord, help me now. Lord, help me now. Lord, help me now. By the way, that's the right answer. Lord, help me now. Help me now. They need something more than what I could come up with. Help me now. Help me now. Joshua had already been in the habit of doing that. He's been depending on God's spirit, not his own self. That's why God chose him. God was looking for an instrument that he can use and not dependent on himself. So Moses was able to take Joshua and put him before the people. Notice what God said about this too. Um, In verse number 19. (laughs) And it says, uh, And set him before Eleazar the priest. Now remember, Aaron is already gone. Eleazar is the high priest now. And notice what God says. He says, And set him before Eleazar the priest, before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor, Moses' honor, upon him, Joshua, that the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Here, this is this idea here that Moses was supposed to place his honor upon Joshua. Now, what is this? Does he tear like a little piece of his coat? Does he like give him like a limb or something? No, this idea is that part of that reputation. Moses had built up a reputation. A following after God. And people had already found out what happened when you went against Moses. You went against God. And the world, earth would swallow up. And, you know, so there was a little bit that people understood that God was with Moses. And so Moses was supposed to take Joshua before all the people. And put his endorsement. To put his authority on them. With the idea that, hey, you guys sort of maybe sometimes obeyed me. You should obey Joshua too. You should carry with that. He carries this authority. He carries that endorsement. I am putting my charge, my endorsement upon him. Obey him. And again, what was the purpose of this at the very end of it, uh, verse 20? That all the children of Israel might be obedient. So they wouldn't have the idea of like, who, well, who's this punk? Who's this? Who does he think he is? Moses saying, I'll tell you who he is. He's someone that I put my endorsement on. This is who you're supposed to follow now. He's the one that's trained. He's the one that God has God has picked 
Now follow and submit to him. We also see something else here. Is that the under shepherd should be directed by God. The under shepherd should be directed by God. Notice with me in verse 21. And he, that's Joshua, should stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask judgment of the Urim, and it's also carrying the idea of the Urim and Thurim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel, even the congregation. Now, what this is talking about is that the Urim and Thurim was something the children of Israel had, the high priest specifically had, that was able to kind of give a direction towards God. Now, the Bible never describes in detail. It takes it for granted that people know about it. For example, we say we're going to the mall. A hundred years ago, they would say, what? Probably about ten years ago, when you say we're going to the mall, you say, what was that? Kind of like a blockbuster, right? What in the world is that? You know, we all have stores that have closed, Radio Shack or something, that people don't have the context with. Well, the Urim Thurum, everybody in that time knew what it was, so they didn't explain what it was. For example, when you say we're going to the mall, you don't describe what the mall is. We just take it for granted that people know. It's an understood thing. And so we don't have all the information about the Urim and Thurim. But the best we could piece together is that we think that it was a bag that had like a white rock and a black rock. And you would ask God a yes or no question. And the priest would pray. And then he would pull out the answer and kind of give the direction from God. Regardless of the specifics of it, what it was there for was to direct someone, especially the leader, in this case Joshua, on what God's will was. So Joshua was supposed to ask God, God, what are we supposed to do? And that through the high priest, who was the representation, was able to help direct uh, the leadership at this time. So what we understand here is the principle, the under shepherd should be directed by God. Notice again is this wording in verse number 21. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. Notice this, it says before the Lord, and then at his word they shall go out. And at his word they shall come in, both he and the children of Israel, even all the congregation. Now notice this, who's this he there? That at his word, is it Eleazar? Is it Joshua? Let me tell you who this he is. It's God. At God's word, they shall go out. And at God's word, they shall come in. Both he, now speaking of Joshua, and all the children of Israel with him, even all of him. So the pronouns are important here. We understand that God is directing everything. That the under shepherd is the under shepherd who answers to the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd's the boss. He's the one that we have to obey and that the under shepherd is supposed to learn and teach everyone else to follow after God. They're directed by God. Which brings us to the third thing here. That not only do we see the human principle of the under shepherd, we also see the, <coughs> the principle here of God's part of the under shepherd, but we also see the ordaining of the under shepherd. Notice with verse in verse number 22. The ordaining of the under shepherd. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he, Moses, took Joshua. And set him before Eleazar the priest. And before all the congregation. So publicly he took Joshua in front of everyone. 
And he, Moses, laid his hands upon him, Joshua. So he laid his hands upon him. Now there was nothing supernatural that occurred. There was nothing mystical that happened. It was a picture that Moses was putting his authority, his approval upon Joshua. Uh, This is what we would call an ordination service. That Moses is putting his hands upon him. And saying he's got my approval. He's got my authority. Then notice this. And gave him a charge. So Moses gave him Joshua a charge. This idea of charge is preaching. So at this ordination service. By the way we order our ordination services the same way. You see an ordination service in um, Acts chapter 13. We'll get to that in a second. But. Moses put his hands upon Joshua as a symbolic gesture that you have my authority. You have my honor. You have my approval. Then Joshua before everyone, I'm preaching to you a message. And let me tell you, you have a responsibility to be an under shepherd. And Moses went to town to preach. And by the way, that's what an ordination service is too. That they, a person is reviewed by an ordination council. And what they're reviewing is to make sure that this person is called by God. And they're all in ordination services recognizing what God has already done. How do you know that? Well, in Acts chapter 13, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, pull me out Paul, or Saul and Barnabas for a work that I have them to do. In the next verse, it says the church sent them out for a work. Well, who sent them out, God or the church? Yes. What the church was doing was recognizing that God had sent them out to a work. And they're recognizing it humanistically. God had sent them. They're putting their approval. They're they're recognizing this, this endorsement of it. Well, this is what's happening here in an ordination service is they do a review. They make sure that God has called them, that God has a purpose in their life, and that they're endorsing this. And then in ordination service, they preach at that young man with the idea, this is a serious call. This is not fun and games. This isn't, you know, because you failed at everything else in life. Here's a job to do. They're saying, this is important. And your job is to follow after God. This is a heavy responsibility to be the under shepherd. And they did it before everyone. So everyone heard what Moses preached to Joshua. Can you imagine what that message? That's another DVD to check out when you get to heaven. To hear Moses preaching his message to Joshua. Listen here. You have to work with them. And let me tell you. They're not always going to like you. And they're going to complain. And you still have to lead them and treat them right. Yes sir. Yes sir. And let me tell you, Joshua, it's not always going to be easy. But you need to serve God. Yes, sir. Can you imagine that message? Moses went to town and preached at him before everyone. And they prayed and they put their approval on it. And now Moses is getting ready to pass off the scene. He still has to preach to the rest of the people. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. That all this time for 40 years, he's, God says, tell him this. Yes, sir. Tell him this. And then finally in Deuteronomy, God says, here, Moses... You clear off a platform and you preach at him. And for a month, he's going to town and telling them everything. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Moses preaching, taking one month to preach to all the people before he leaves. Let me tell you some things that you need to remember. And then after that, Joshua is going to take the lead. And there's this time of preparation, of transition to get this young man ready to go. Probably not young at this time. We know he's at least 40. We know he's probably at least 60 at this time. And yet he's waited all this time. 
for what God had him to do. And now it's going to be his turn. And God had left a preparation. Aren't you glad for that? That there was a transition time. That they weren't like a time where they had to go find who's the next pastor. They had a time where there was a transition. Where it was directed, organized. The people were able to see that this was from God. And why is this important? Because the idea of an under-shepherd is someone that God uses as an instrument to help guard, protect, and shepherd God's flock. This is an important thing that God has chosen. And we all need to understand what the purpose of the under-shepherd is. That the purpose of the under-shepherd is that God is the chief shepherd. And the under-shepherd is put steward over God's flock to lead the people to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.